In terms of safety, we know that this is probably the most toxic medical intervention that has ever been released. Pfizer knew this, the FDA knew this. In the first two months after the release of the Pfizer vaccine, Pfizer were aware of over 1,200 deaths directly related to the vaccine and over 40,000 adverse events. A major milestone in the COVID-19 pandemic. The Pfizer vaccine is now fully FDA approved for people 16 and up. It's the first COVID-19 shot to move out of the emergency use phase. To get the emergency use authorization, they really don't have to release any information about their clinical trials to the public. But Pfizer uniquely got full approval for its Comirnaty vaccine. In order to get that, they had to make a submission to FDA describing their clinical trials. And that submission, although it's a bare bones submission, there's a lot of interesting information in that submission. We want all the underlying data and Pfizer and FDA have refused to release it. And in fact, when Aaron Ziri, who is my colleague, sued Pfizer to get the data, FDA intervened on behalf of Pfizer, and Pfizer has said it doesn't want to release that data for 75 years, and FDA is supporting that position. Here you have the government regulatory agency collaborating with a pharmaceutical company to keep secret the results of clinical trials on a drug that is now mandated to virtually everybody in America for which the company has no liability. So matter, no matter how grievously you're injured, no matter how reckless or negligent their conduct, you can't sue them. When it comes to boosters, mixing and matching vaccines is likely safe and effective. We've made vaccinations free, safe and convenient. If you're fully vaccinated, you're highly protected, you're as safe as possible. If you get vaccinated, you are protected. You know, the vaccine is safe and effective, safe and effective. It's the narrative which has been perpetuated ad infinitum. And we know that's a complete and utter lie. Even though vaccines, because of the high degree of transmissibility of this virus, don't protect overly well, as it were, against infection. We know from the most recent data, the vaccine actually increases your risk of getting COVID. I mean, that is an astonishing fact. Back in the mid-1950s, Dr. Jonas Salk developed a killed injectable polio vaccine. At first it was widely used, but now it has largely been replaced by the live Sabin vaccine. It has now come to light in the United States that the live virus vaccine for polio does cause the disease itself. And the absolutely positive assertion that the live virus vaccine could be given without risk of paralysis. That statement was made by the American Medical Association in its June meeting of 1961 at a time when all of us knew that cases had been occurring. In the Federal Register, Honest to God, 1984, um, there is a section that, speaking about polio vaccines, in which the federal government asserts that any information, whether true or not, which would cause vaccine hesitancy is to be suppressed.
because of the Freedom of Information Act filing, the courts forced Pfizer and the FDA to disclose the full dossier of documents around the Pfizer BioNTech product. And there's a table in there, in that disclosed information, that lists many, 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 many adverse events of special interest that are now clearly shown to be associated with the RNA vaccine technologies. In the internal documents, the side effects that Pfizer identified are completely different from the side effects that the CDC discloses, for instance, on its website. It says, you may have chills, you may have fatigue, you may have a headache. The Pfizer internal documents show massive thousands of joint pain, like rheumatoid arthritis type crippling joint pain. Another gigantic category is muscle pain, myalgia. Thousands of results are neurological disorders, Guillain-Barre, Bell's palsy, multiple sclerosis, encephalitis, thrombocytopenia, lung clots, leg clots, cardiac problems, heart damage, stroke. The internal documents show that the spike protein is toxic and also causing harm. Well, another round of Pfizer documents have dropped. Over 11,000 pages were released. Adverse reactions were more frequent and more severe in younger groups. In May of 2021, Pfizer knew that 35 minors, teenagers, had suffered heart damage within a week after being injected by the mRNA vaccines. But they didn't tell the rest of us. And the FDA issued the emergency use authorization for teenagers in June, a month later, also knowing about the heart damage. But the government didn't tell us, didn't issue a press release about heart damage to minors or young adults till August of 2021, after thousands and thousands and thousands of teenagers and young adults went ahead and got injected and their parents allowed them to or brought them to their doctors to get injected, not knowing that this could damage their hearts. Pfizer received the biggest criminal fine in U.S. history as a part of a $2.3 billion settlement with federal prosecutors for mispromoting medicines and for paying kickbacks to compliant doctors. In the 1990s, they were involved in defective heart valves that led to the deaths of more than 100 people. Amid widespread criticism of high pricing for poor countries, and in particular AIDS medications, Pfizer was sued in a U.S. federal court by Nigerian families who accused the company of testing a dangerous new antibiotic called Trovan on children without parents' consent and using their children as human guinea pigs. In 2004, Pfizer subsidiary agreed to pay $430 million to resolve criminal charges that it paid physicians to prescribe its epilepsy drug, Neurontin, to patients with ailments which the medication was not approved. Pfizer also had a class action suit with a $60 million settlement over Resolin, diabetes medication that resulted in patients dying from acute liver failure. In 2010, a federal jury found that Pfizer committed racketeering fraud in its marketing of the drug. 2012, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission announced that it had reached a $45 million settlement with Pfizer to resolve charges that its subsidiaries had bribed overseas doctors and other healthcare professionals to increase foreign sales. In the UK, they have been fined nearly 90 million pounds by the UK's competition watchdog for unfair pricing to the NHS after hiking up the cost of an anti-epilepsy drug by two and a half thousand percent. Million dollar profits and illegal activity at this country's biggest drug company. Is there anything to stop this company or other big drug, drug companies from doing it again? 
Pfizer says its vaccine for children ages 5 to 11 is 90% effective against symptomatic COVID. Members of the FDA committee agreed the benefits of the vaccine for younger children appear to outweigh the risk. So Moderna's chief medical officer says his company is also developing an Omicron-specific booster that would take two to three months to get into testing and then production. You said Pfizer could do the same 100 days or less. Is that a window that can be narrowed depending on how the, the work goes? Around 60 days on the development, we will have clinical production of the vaccine so that we can go and test it in humans. And then within 95 days, we will have the full results of, uh, of this uh, trial. And Albert Borla, I really appreciate your work and, and your time tonight. Thank you. Anderson Cooper 360, brought to you by Pfizer. 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 Pfizer asked to be compensated for the cost of any future lawsuits. In case of any side effects, Pfizer be exempted from all civil liability. An advocacy group has thrown up more details of what Pfizer does. It has access some confidential contracts of Pfizer. Pfizer is silencing governments. How? Through contracts. These airtight contracts are at the center of everything. Pfizer also gets to decide who will get the shot. They won't be able to sue Pfizer at home. The matter will go to a secret panel of three private arbitrators in New York. This is vaccine terrorism. Until and unless somebody goes to prison, somebody high up goes to prison, and or the company is banned from selling drugs to Medicare or Medicaid, this activity will continue. What we do know, which is truly astonishing, is that if you look at the lot number of the vaccines, is that certain lots of the vaccine are associated with a thousand-fold increased risk of adverse events compared to other lots. Some of the material in the vaccines is completely inert and is a placebo. Some of these vaccines may contain really high concentrations of messenger RNA. We know that they manipulated the, the RNA. They changed the uridine residues. They changed some of the nucleotides. They put caps on each end. So this is a synthetic mRNA. And when patients are injected with this, we have no idea if the same molecule is given to every single patient in the same quantity. So we have no idea what's in these files. I mean, it's truly unprecedented that a physician would inject a patient with a medication that they really don't understand what's in it. At the time, there was very little known about the adverse events. All the publicity was that it was safe and effective, that there were no major adverse events. And there were no hospitalizations or deaths in the individuals who were vaccinated. Well, you now have three highly efficacious vaccines, and there have been no hospitalizations or deaths in multiple countries. Well, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to participate in these international research conferences if I wasn't vaccinated particularly after dose number two, I had life-threatening hypertension. My wife, Jill, heard about this website that listed adverse events by batch. So uh, she looked up the How Bad Is My Batch website and dialed in the batch numbers that I had received. And it turned out that my second dose was a batch that was known to have a very high number of adverse events and deaths based on the VAR system compared to other batches. With these synthetic RNAs, they behave very differently. They're not a natural RNA. They don't degrade rapidly. 
they stick around for a very long period of time and we really don't even understand how long or where they go or if they can be taken up again by other cells and still produce protein. None of that was characterized. I speak about this being the largest experiment ever done on human beings. At a very fundamental level, we have no understanding of what we've done, and yet we have taken this synthetic molecule that's not really RNA and administered it to global populations. Medical establishment facilitated both the lead up to the Holocaust and the Holocaust. The medical establishment went in lockstep with the government and the first medical murder victims in Nazi Germany were German infants and children. Their crime was that they were disabled, not perfect. Over a thousand children were medically murdered at hospitals that became murder institutions. It then spread to all children and adults with disabilities, to the mentally ill. There were two reasons that they used to justify. It was called T4. One was to cleanse the genetic pool of the imperfect. And the other was to get rid of the economic burden. People don't want to compare the Holocaust to anything else. Why? You've got to go with the truth. And no, we won't see gas chambers. No, we won't see crematoria. They don't need that. Now their weapons are technological. Australia has them already. Canada. If your test results come back positive, you'll need to immediately quarantine in designated government facilities. This is not optional. Now, when this happens in other countries, and it does, we call those facilities internment camps. The Nazis, by the way, didn't call it eugenics, they called it hygiene. It's always somehow with cleansing, but they're talking about murder. Governments today and totalitarian forces now have an arsenal of new technologies that give them the capacity to control human behavior that was unavailable to totalitarian regimes in the past. The intention of every totalitarian regime in history has been absolute control of human behavior, of dissent, of human thought, of human movements. But today we have a bunch of new technological innovations that makes that more and more difficult. I don't know why they think I'm interested in knowing you know, people's locations. That one I still have to laugh at. This man is also a prime investor in EarthNow LLC, a company promising to deploy a large constellation of advanced imaging satellites that will deliver real-time, continuous video of almost anywhere on Earth. I believe we should create what I call the GERM team. Uh, GERM stands for Global Epidemic Response and Mobilization. This group is full-time. The cost of this team is significant. It's over a billion a year uh, to support the 3,000 people who would be on this team. The work would be coordinated by the WHO. And a very important thing is that, like firefighters, a germ team would do drills. When you want to have quick response, practice is key. 
You need to know if, say, a lot of people show up with a, a new kind of cough, that's when germ needs to look into it and say, is this an outbreak? Is there a new pathogen here? Disease monitoring, that's germ. You know, they'd have more in the lower income countries. You know, for example, we could have germ members, say an epidemiologist working out of the Africa CDC office uh, in Abuja. They want to think that Bill is a great guy and he's over in Africa trying to save as many lives as possible. So propagandists have to know how to translate issues into language that will push people's buttons in a positive way. And we can see that Bill Gates has been schooled in how to come across as friendly and nice uh, when he's nothing of the kind. Well, it so happens that Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, and Mark Zuckerberg have invested in a startup called Biomilk, which uses mammary cells and donated breast milk to create lab-grown baby formula. This is yet one more example of an intervention to disrupt the way the human body used to be self-sufficient. You know, disrupt human immunity, disrupt human gestation, just disrupt human lactation, and make human beings dependent on outside forces, really for their immune system, or really for their ability to feed their children. Both uh, myself and Dr. Fauci have uh, featured in conspiracy theories. You know, like one says that Dr. Fauci's trying to make money off of these vaccines. One of the secrets that they've tried to keep hidden at NIH are these direct payments from the pharmaceutical industry, not only to the agency, but to hundreds, if not thousands, of scientists and officials within those agencies for royalty payments for the drugs that that agency has partnered with the pharmaceutical company to develop and market. The agency has become a marketing arm for Big Pharma, and they don't want the American public to know that is the ultimate object of this terrible devolution. And, you know, one of the big emblems of that devolution are these payments that are being made to Tony Fauci, to his deputies, to his PIs, and to his scientists. We sent FOIL requests, we made inquiries, and NIH just stonewalled us. The NIH is in the process, you know, in the midst, as you know, of, you know, awarding grants for research. And the idea that scientists may be benefiting financially from the work that they've done at NIH, that creates to me the appearance of a conflict of interest. We're following the Bayh-Dole Act when it comes to that. So you're saying it's federal law that allows the NIH to do that? That's correct. Leaders of the organization have received royalty payments. I think, Dr. Fauci, you've said that you've donated your royalties to charities, is my understanding. What strikes me is you're in a position where you're saying certain drugs don't work. They don't like ivermectin because they aren't benefiting from that royalty, or they don't like hydroxychloroquine. If the agency is awarding who the beneficiary of the grant, who's doing the trial, and there are somehow finances involved, that there's a financial benefit that could be accrued if someone's uh, you know, patent or invention is considered valid. Do you not see that as a conflict? Well, we came to understand that Fauci's financial records are buried deep in a government bunker and they're so sensitive to the National Institutes of Health that they are defying the Freedom of Information Act. 
When we sued the National Institutes of Health on our Freedom of Information Act request for the Fauci financials, on discovery, we learned that the National Institutes of Health have declared war on transparency. They're past due on 633 Freedom of Information Act requests. They're being sued at least 35 times over those requests. On the production of third-party royalty payments, subject to our lawsuit, NIH provided top-line numbers. So we can estimate over the last decade just how much money flowed from third-party payers, think pharmaceutical companies, back to NIH and its scientists. And that's nearly $350 million over the course of that decade. And we can see the scientists' names. There's 1,800 scientists that received payments. Here's what we can't see. We can't see the payment amount to the individual scientist. It's been erased, it's been blacked out and redacted. We can't see the name of the third party payer, think pharmaceutical company. That's been erased and redacted. And furthermore, they've redacted the patent number and the license number, so we don't know why the royalty is being paid, we don't know what the invention was. That information has not been made public, and I think sooner rather than later, you should make that information public because Right now, I think the NIH has a credibility problem. Since the start of the pandemic, I wrote six columns out of 92 in regard to Dr. Anthony Fauci. When I wrote three in succession from December of 2021 through January of 2022, those were the last columns I ever wrote at Forbes. The National Institutes of Health, they came down hard on Forbes. Forbes came down hard on me. I told the truth and Forbes terminated my column. There are so many countless witnesses who came out of that house of Fauci who speak to, all of a sudden I lost everything. All of a sudden I, I lost my job, nobody would speak to me. I was blacklisted because of one quote I gave, one paper I wrote. To call Dr. Fauci America's doctor is such an outrageous misnomer. He's a shyster. He is a man without scruples of any kind. I've met uh, Dr. Fauci on many occasions, and I've seen him do damage to my industry through my entire professional career. He should be charged with the crimes that he's been responsible for, which go back to the HIV era. He did some terrible experiments in Africa. None of the rules seem to apply to him, and they never have. It's elements of totalitarian societies, and it also has this theme of mafioso velvetness to it. He's essentially a mafia don who runs all three agencies. He rules science and the practice of medicine. He's resulted in the death of hundreds of thousands of patients. When you hear something like this, to be honest, do you ever just think, you know, I'm out of here. This is, <laughs> this is enough. I, I don't need this. It's like in The Godfather, nothing personal, strictly business, you know? <laughs> in 2020, Dr. Fauci approved a $420,000 grant to do an experiment in which baby beagles were bitten to death by flies. They actually put a cage on the beagles' heads and filled the cage with flies so the beagle couldn't escape them and, and killed them. And whatever the the scientific merits of that experiment, there are boundaries where we hope that government officials will say, Americans don't do that. 
Abraham Lincoln said about our country, America is a great nation because we're a good nation. Throughout our history, our you know most visionary and beloved leaders have said, we aren't going to do that. Washington said, we don't torture people, even if it would give us an advantage in war, because that is inconsistent with our values. And we hope that our leaders, people who've been in office for 50 years and are regarded as templates for American government, would respect those kind of boundaries. The NIH and all of its satellites, people don't realize these organizations are part of the U.S. military. They function as military organizations, the NIH and every organization under the HHS umbrella. So these notions that we have, that there should be freedom of scientific expression and discourse and dialectic. That's our fantasy. American science really falls under the direct command of the U.S. military. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor, tinkering in his shop, has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. Partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. In holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. That speech was given on my birthday, and I remember that because it was right before my uncle's inauguration, and I would say it's the most important speech in American history because it was warning against the domination and the loss of our democracy to a military-industrial complex, and he specifically cited the rise of the health bureaucracy as a threat to democracy and to American values. 23 countries and the World Health Organization have backed the idea of an international treaty to help deal with future health emergencies like COVID-19. In May of 2022, the World Health Organization announced a new initiative in which all of the major nations in the world would sign on to a treaty that would give the World Health Organization this kind of centralized control over all future pandemics. And the sovereign nations would relinquish at least some of their sovereign capacity to develop their own strategies for dealing with pandemics or for recognizing the existence of a pandemic. So now you have the World Health Organization that wants to give itself the ultimate authority to declare a pandemic anytime it wants with very few objective criteria and then to dictate mandates and protocols for that all the other nations have to obey. And I think that's really disconcerting. And the fact that 
all of these countries, including the American government, are taking this seriously and not ridiculing it. It's frightening for our democracy. That is the goal, that's the power grab, to move all decision-making and all money to this One Health framework. There will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. No single government or multilateral agency can address this threat alone. Together, we must be better prepared to predict, prevent, detect, assess, and effectively respond to pandemics in a highly coordinated fashion. The 194 member states of the World Health Organization resolved to work together towards a new international instrument for pandemic preparedness and response. This treaty involves um, some rather concerning propositions and this includes that um, that the WHO would have the authority in, in the event of another pandemic, uh, who would decide what the disease is called, how you would measure the disease, how you would test for the disease, the safety standards of the vaccines or whatever treatments they decide. It could be that these vaccines get developed in 100 days, which is totally ludicrous. Also, they could decide on who has to have them, whether they get mandated and so on, which is totally unacceptable. And, uh, and not to be tolerated. There's been lots of pushback against this by various groups in the United States, but that's not why the WHO failed to establish this treaty in its first go-around. It was because of the African countries who also feel their loss of independence. They see the WHO being funded by Bill Gates and, you know, and you as a, as a U.S. interest, and they don't want to be told by the U.S. what to do. And so they're the ones that have pushed back on this, and basically they're the ones that are saving our national independence. I think we actually have some video of some of these African states standing up and making this point uh, during that assembly. Let's just take a look at this. The amendments need to be considered as a holistic package, and the process should be transparent, inclusive, credible, and consensual, and with full respect for the sovereignty of member states with, uh, while pursuing our collective action. The African region shares the view that the process should not be fast-tracked by the amendments of Article 59 or the Technical Adjustment Amendment of Articles 55, 61, 62, and 63 at this Health Assembly. Namibia aligns with the statement delivered by Botswana. Republic of Tanzania aligns with the statement delivered by Botswana. But now the news is spreading like wildfire and people are saying it's time to take our power back. They know that the politicians are largely captured and corrupt. The conflicts of interest regarding WHO and Big Pharma couldn't be more clear. You know, the Wellcome Trust, uh, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, all of them in this one incestuous cesspool. Wait, wait. Stop the Who campaign has really been to raise awareness of this power grab and provide resources for individuals um, to address it and to campaign to stop the WHO pandemic treaty, which would be confirmed in 2024. It's very important that communities become resilient because we're at a, a stage in our history and human evolution where we are at, at risk of catastrophes of a variety of, of natures, that there's another infection coming, it could be that there's mass injury from the 
COVID-19 vaccinations could be that there's financial collapse, uh, political or environmental upheaval that leads to a new emergency situation. We testified in Tennessee. Tennessee has prohibited doctors being reprimanded for prescribing off-label drugs. And remarkably, the governor in Tennessee has signed a bill which allows ivermectin to be dispensed over the counter. So that is a major breakthrough. There are similar bills in New Hampshire, similar bills in Missouri. So I think a number of states that are open-minded enough can actually see what's going on. Uh, so I think the dam wall is breaking. There are honest people who have heart and humanity, who understand the science, who will stand up against this tyranny. We founded Children's Health Defense in 2011. At that point, it was called World Mercury Project. And the mission of the organization was to end toxic exposures to children and the chronic disease epidemic that was uh, associated with those exposures. Of course, the regulatory agencies do not want to look at this issue because the entities that are creating these toxic exposures are politically powerful. They're pharmaceutical companies, they're agricultural chemical companies, they're companies like Monsanto and Cargill and the big processed food companies like McDonald's, uh, the sugar industry, and many, many others. And they all have uh, almost insurmountable political clout with Congress and therefore with the regulatory agencies. And I'm accustomed to reading science. It's part of what I do for my job. I need to be able to read science critically. In other words, to find the problems and, and understand the methodologies, the statistical protocols that the researchers use in order to arrive at their conclusion. I brought hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. Almost all of them involve some kind of scientific controversy. At Children's Health Defense, we have brought lawsuits against the Food and Drug Administration. We've brought lawsuits against New York State. We've brought lawsuits against the state of California. During COVID, our mission has expanded because now it's not only children who are being compelled to get vaccines, it's the whole population. We have not yet sued the NIH, but time will tell. Dr. Anthony Fauci has just announced that he is stepping down. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top uh, infectious disease expert for nearly a half century, has announced today that he will be retiring in December. The nation's top doctor is making his retirement official and arguably the most famous in America. Well, you know, Rachel, it, it's never really a good time to leave, but you have to leave sometime. Going forward, you really want to choose to listen to those voices that do not have a conflict of interest. The implicit faith in these agencies has to be suspended. They've clearly given demonstrable evidence that they cannot be trusted to truly have the public interest as their primary purpose. Fortunately, a lot of people are starting to wake up. Many people have been double injected and then those many others, of course, have been jabbed beyond that. But there's a large number of people who woke up and refuse to take the additional boosters. And every time you get a booster shot, you're gonna set back your immune system. Your innate immunity is getting messed up by the vaccine. So every time you get a booster shot, it gets worse. 
To me, that's the most important message. And I, I tell everybody, eat a certified organic diet, stay away from the glyphosate, get out in the sunlight, make sure your vitamin D is high. Very simple things, so eat fruit so you'll have enough vitamin C, you know. Make sure you have foods that contain zinc, because zinc and vitamin C, and then there's even supplements you can take like N-acetylcysteine or liposomal glutathione. You want someone who is not only expert, but transparent, willing to show their data, willing to debate and discuss their data, not issue decrees that this is the way it is and not listen to dissent or be willing to entertain questions or debate. Our website, which is flccc.net, all we do is we give unconflicted expert assessments of the evolving data around multiple therapeutics of multiple phases. And so in COVID in particular, we're a legitimate and, and hopefully helpful resource to folks. Through the World Council for Health, we seek to bring together both science and wisdom and common sense and empower people to take responsibility for their health and to step away from this very fear-based approach to health uh, and recognize that they have choices. Uh, currently, we have more than 150 partner organizations around the world, including Children's Health Defense, and across 50 countries, and we're growing every day. We've recently held the Better Way Conference, which has really consolidated what a better world looks like. This is not a time to be depressed. We don't have the option of depression. It's a kind of luxury to just sink into sadness. This is war, okay? We're under attack. We're under attack by globalist interests and corporate powers that really mean business and that cannot afford to pull back. We've got a tiger by the tail. That being the case, we, we cannot succumb to sadness or indeed to pessimism. I mean, I actually believe deeply that they can't succeed at this. It is too perverse. It is too grandiose, too ambitious, too unnatural. Bullies cannot be appeased. It just encourages them to new forms of torture and torment. Every time you say yes, you're getting pushed back to a weaker position. Our job is to go out from here today and reach out to our brothers and sisters, the people who are still hypnotized, and tell them that we are going to fight for their freedom until they're able to fight for it themselves. You are the front line against totalitarianism. We're telling them today, you are not going to take away our freedom. You are not going to poison our children. We are going to demand our democracy back. Thank you all very much for fighting. It's a privilege to be shoulder to shoulder with so many different kinds of people in the trenches. And my message to all of them is, I'll see you on the barricades. 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 <laughs>